0: Some time ago, I spoke from these very same verses of the Scripture, but I, all week long, as I literally and prepared another message for this morning, the Lord kept bringing me back to this truth, and I felt that under God, this is His message for us this morning. I said to one of our men, I think on the phone, I was talking to Brother Joseph this week down in Gainesville or Oakwood. And I said, Brother Bill, uh, the thing that really is the burden of my heart and that I guess I am more concerned about than anything else is to know what my people need, to know what their burdens are and to give right direction from God's Word to the heart of our precious people. And that's a great concern of mine. So with that said... The Lord seems to bring me back to this passage in the book of Nehemiah. I'm sure if you read along in the reading of the scripture this morning, perhaps you came up with the same question that puzzled and and flashed across my mind. And that question is this, does anybody really care? Does anybody really care? Now, if you dwell on that long enough, you come to a point of great despair, and you think, well, nobody really cares anymore. I often wonder in my own heart, mind, and soul, I wonder how many people really care about the written Word of God. I wonder how many folks really care enough to even read it, to even study it to make themselves available for the instruction in God's Word. I wonder, do we really care? It seems to me that the attitude in our society is reflected in the conduct of people, and that very reflected thought is, I care little about what God's Word says. Again, there are few who really care anything about righteousness in this day. It's live. Not only that, but I wonder how many ever care anything about our Sabbath. I'm not talking about Saturday, but I'm talking about a day when men set aside a time when they honor and reverence God, when their faults turn Godward. When their thoughts turn to heavenward, all oh, the world's doing everything in its power in this day and age to keep men from reverencing or respecting or even thinking about God the Creator. So I question, how I wonder, is there anyone who really cares? I wonder how many really care about others. Someone as well said, the worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent toward them. And I think that's the summation of what Jesus taught in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Levite came by, the priest had gone by, and there was the wounded, robbed man lying beside the highway, bleeding and dying, but the religious crowd passed by on the other side of the road. And yet the very summary of it all is that these men cared so little about one who had great need and who needed great assistance. Today you hear people sarcastically say, ask me if I care. Ask me if I care if God's work goes unfinished in our place, in our life, in our home, in our family. Ask me if I care what the Bible says about my faithfulness to God. Ask me if I care. That kind of sarcasm reveals so much about an individual's character indeed. Now Nehemiah was a man who undoubtedly cared. He cared about the past. He cared about the needs of the present. He cared about the hopes for the future. Nehemiah apparently was a man who cared. cared about his heritage. He cared about his ancestral city of Jerusalem. He cared about the glory of his God. And he cared indeed about the people who were round about him. Now there's evidence in these verses that I've read to you or that you have read together with us that indicate and give evidence that Nehemiah was a man who really cared. Notice verse number 1 through 3, and you'll notice that he was a man who cared enough to ask. Look at verse 2. That he and certain men of Judah that had come, and Nehemiah says, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. He cared enough to ask. I'd remind you that Nehemiah was not a prophet. He was not a preacher. He was not an evangelist. He was not even a missionary, but he was a layman. I mean, there on the, in the common walk of life, and yet he was a man who had a concern. The Bible tells us that he was the cupbearer of the king of Persia. The man, indeed, had elevated him to this particular position. I think at this point I should remind you that the name Nehemiah is significant. The name Nehemiah means consolation or comfort. And here is Nehemiah called of God indeed to be a consolation, a comfort, even to those who are now left behind in Jerusalem. He was a man who cared. You know, and and a man who desired to give consolation to those about him and those in trouble. In the book of 2 Corinthians, there's an interesting verse that I think would help us to understand why, why God blesses us and comforts us and consoles us as he does. Does God do that for you and me just because we're some kind of special individual? Oh, no. But notice what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse number 3. And he says these words, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted uh, of God. Why has God blessed you as he has? He's blessed you uh, so you in turn can be a blessing to someone else. He has brought comfort and consolation uh, to your heart when he saved you uh, that you might share that blessing uh, with someone else. He blesses us materially that we may, as God prospers us, be a blessing to those who have need. Ephesians 4 verse 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands that he may have to give to him that needeth. I've said it a lot of times, but the period in that statement usually is placed right after the word have as far as the actions of most of us is concerned. That he labor with his hands that he may have, period. We want to we hoard God's blessing and God's comfort and God's consolation all to ourselves. But God blesses us that we might turn and be a blessing to someone else. The Lord saved you, uh, not simply to take you alone to heaven, but he saved you by grace through faith that you could turn to someone else and share that same message of salvation to those who do not know the Savior. You have the formula for, man, for, for the healing of the soul of man. And yet God did not just heal our soul that we could gloat over that fact only and within ourselves, but rather that we could bless someone else with that very message and with that very truth. I think yet again how Nehemiah was blessed and comforted in the position that God granted him. The position that this man has, as you'll notice, he was the cupbearer of the king. And that simply meant that he tasted the food before the king tasted it. He tasted the wine before the king drank it. All to prevent the king from being poisoned. If there was any poison placed in the food by an enemy or a foe, indeed, the cupbearer. I mean, he, he bore the blood and he bore the tragedy that would occur, not the king. What a position this man had. It was a position of privilege, but it was a position of responsibility and influence. He was next to the king and therefore had, an, had the king's ear. Oftentimes, uh, I'm sure the king would converse with him and Nehemiah might give him some uh, idea or thought that he may have on some certain ruling. God gave him that position. Let me tell you this. Whatever position you hold in your life, if you are God's child, God placed you there for a specific purpose. It is a privilege to be placed wherever God wants you and yet what a responsibility. You see, every one of us has an influence. Every man casts a shadow in his life and that shadow is the shadow of influence that may pass over and touch the life of someone else. As a Christian, my, what a position you have and I have, what a position to be in the family of God and to be called a child of God, yea, even to be called a Christian, meaning a follower of Christ. And yet you have an influence. What you do in in your life, in relation to God's will and God's plan for your life, whether you like it or I like it or not, we influence someone else. You influence people when you are faithful to God's house you influence them if you're not faithful not for good but for evil so it pays us to recognize the position that God has given us and use that influence for his glory and for the good of those who observe our life God gave Joseph a position and because he was faithful in that position All of Egypt was spared from starvation during the time of the lean years. Moses was faithful to God in the position that God had given to him. And he leads a whole nation of people out of Egyptian bondage. Esther was faithful in her position. She came before the king And the king granted her request and Esther, by reason of her daring and her courage to approach the king, saved a whole race of people, the Jewish nation. Oh, God's given you a position. Think of one other comes to mind. Paul was a faithful servant of the position God had given him. And you remember he said on one occasion, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Because he was faithful, because he stayed true, the entire Roman world of his day was permeated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was faithful in the position God had given to him. So Nehemiah was a man who cared, and it's evidenced by the fact that he asked. You know some people don't even care enough to ask about the plight of others, the condition of others. Many of us as born-again believers, we care so little yet we never ask those that are about us about their relationship with Christ. We never ask them if they're saved or lost, whether they'd go to heaven when they died or they go to hell. Do we really care enough to ask? I'll tell you the reason sometimes we don't ask. We're afraid of the information that we may gain. For information brings obligation. When you learn that somebody is in need, John said, and you shut up the bowels of your compassion, how dwells the love of God in that person, he said. So often then we don't want to ask because we know what it will do in our, own, in our own hearts. We don't want to be bothered. We don't want to know that our neighbor's lost and if he dies, he's going to hell. We don't want to know that. That's disturbing. But yet nothing will ever be done until we get a burden on our heart and begin to ask our loved ones. Don't ever take for granted that some loved one or member of the family is saved, ask them, ask your children, ask your husband, ask your wife. For one of these days, if death should come, you're going to want to know. You want to hear what their response was. Ask them now while there's time to do something about it. And then that Christian who's backslidden and out of the will of God. Do we really care enough for that Christian brother to ask how he's doing? Do we care enough to ask what his trouble is? Why he's not walking as close to the Lord as he used to walk? You see, we may refuse to ask people whether they're saved or lost. Whether they're walking in fellowship with God or whether their fellowship is broken, but let me remind you, facts denied do not cause them to cease to exist. And you can deny the fact and say, well, I just don't know. I don't know. And yet we ought to know. I wonder if I were to ask you right now this question. I wonder how many could raise your hand. I wonder how many could raise their hand if I should ask. I'm not asking you to if you know someone definitely, by name, that's lost. Do you know if the person you go to school with is lost or saved? Do you know if your teacher is saved or lost? Do you know if your boss down at the job where you're working, do you know whether they're saved or lost? Oh, we don't want to bother ourselves by asking and finding out the condition of men's heart. But Nehemiah couldn't help it. He was a man who cared in his heart. He cared enough to ask. Let me give you only one other out of four evidences of this caring man. But he cared enough to weep in verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 1, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days. What makes people laugh or cry reveals a great deal about their character. What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? Tells so much about what you are and who you are. And yet Nehemiah, when he learned of the plight of the people in Jerusalem, the broken down walls and the reproach that was on the people, oh, he wept. I ask you, how long has it been since you wept over somebody's condition? Have you ever really wept because you knew somebody was lost? Or, or is the only thing that really causes us to weep is our own personal problems and disappointments? Have you ever wept over anyone? There's a song that says, Weep o'er the erring one. Rescue the perishing. Do we ever weep, O oh, the erring one? Oh, friend, listen, we'll never weep until we've asked, until we know of someone's condition. The old prophet said, I sat where they sat. Have you ever just put yourself in the position of that friend of yours who's lost? you ever done that? Have you ever... Have you ever really just considered what it would be for you as a saved man or woman to be yet lost on your road to hell? Well, that's where your friend is if they do not know the Savior. Do you care enough to ask? And if when you ask and you find the condition of that friend, does it break your heart? Could I remind you, and let me give you one more And that is, he cared enough to pray. He cared enough to ask. cared enough to weep. And he cared enough to pray. How much time do we spend on our face before God in prayer? How much time do we pray for our lost loved ones? Oh, Nehemiah cared enough to pray. And I want to tell you something. If you and I do not care enough to pray, we need to get our own hearts right with God. If our hearts are never broken at the condition of men and women and their lostness, listen, we need to get our hearts right. So he asked, he wept, he prayed. Alan Redpath, who pastored for years Calvary Baptist Church in New York City, said there's too much working before men and not enough waiting before God. And I believe with all of my heart, as I told the men in our prayer breakfast this morning, I believe that we have given to us by God the greatest instrument for power and blessing of any, of any people, and that's the power of prayer. The, the fact of just pouring our hearts out before God. Oh, listen, do we care enough then to ask? to weep, to pray. There was one who cared more for you and me than Nehemiah could have ever cared for the people in Jerusalem. For he cared enough to ask. He cared enough to weep. For often you see him weeping in his earthly ministry as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The scripture says that little verse we all as children in school when asked to quote a Bible verse we would say Jesus wept. And indeed he did. He had a broken heart. He wept. He wept over Jerusalem. He cared enough to weep. But yes, he cared enough to pray. Agonizing before God. Ah, in the garden till sweat became as drops of blood. And all for you and me, that's how much he cared. And he cared enough to volunteer, and he went to the cross and died in our place, took our sins upon himself. I'm glad our Lord Jesus cares. Oh, do we care? Do we really care whether folks are going to heaven or not? Do we really care if the work of God on this earth flourishes? Do we really care if there is a place where men can be fed on the truth of God's Word? Do we care enough to make it possible for missionaries to go and minister around the world? Do we care? God, give us a caring heart. Let's bow our heads as we pray.